0: let's jump in. And uh, I just want to start with kind of the big idea of this week, next week, and the week after. All right. So it's going to be something that I'm going to be talking about for three weeks in a row. And the big idea is this. Doubt will distance you from or draw you nearer to God. It's going to distance you from or draw you nearer to God. If You have doubts about your faith, and your doubts nag at you a lot, or your doubts are weighty enough, not just kind of a little thing that kind of nags at you a little bit, something that's really weighty that that causes you to doubt God. I doubt that that doubt will just kind of, that you'll just cruise in neutral if that's happening in your life. I doubt that you are going to be unchanged by that doubt. But that doubt is not just something that could derail your faith. That doubt can actually be something that draws you nearer to God, that helps you deepen your relationship with God. So for three weeks, as we're a series of passages, uh, we're gonna be looking at how to keep doubt from distancing you from God. And along the way, we'll be talking about some of the ways that doubt can actually draw you near to God. Now, just a little asterisk on this, and that is that what we're looking at today, because of the passages that we're going to be looking at today and for the next couple of weeks, is primarily applicable to a follower of Jesus who is dealing with doubts. I'm not speaking to someone who is an atheist or an agnostic or just doesn't really care, doesn't really think about it very much. Uh, and again, not because that, that, it's just another sermon, it's another passage. This passage just really speaks to those who are followers of Jesus who are struggling with certain questions that just seem to go unanswered or where the answers just don't seem satisfying and they are nagging at you, all right? So, It's three weeks in uh, the opening part of Matthew 11. Our series is on Matthew 11 and 12. If you're new with us, uh, Jonathan mentioned it, we started last December, end of November, with Matthew. We have done a series of series through Matthew. We will continue to do that until we're done with Matthew. And the reason, part of the reason it takes so long uh, is not just because it's a 28-chapter book, and I'm only covering six verses today. That's part of the reason, but the other reason why it can take so long is because we also do other series along the way. So we'll stop a series after this series. There might be another series that might not be in Matthew at all. Okay, so that's, that's, what, we're, that's what we're doing. Um, and we're going to be asking this question for three weeks, how to keep doubt from dis- distancing you from God, because doubt will distance you from God or draw you near to God. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have Bibles in the seat rack in front of you. It's page 976 in those Bibles. And as you're turning, I want to remind you that understanding the Bible and understanding our part in the story it tells, which is the story of God, it doesn't have to be a mystery. It doesn't have to be something that we just go around like, with our eyes closed you know throwing a dart and hoping it hits something uh, that we want to hit all right It, it doesn't have to be a mystery god has revealed himself in his word that's why we look at his word and we take it very seriously so let's pray the prayer together that is on the screen here in a moment and it's our prayer of illumination join me please Father, we thank you that millions of people will learn from the Bible this weekend. Please speak powerfully through your spirit to convict, to comfort, and to conform our minds to yours. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, we're gonna follow along in just a moment. One of our Five Oaks families is gonna read our passage to us, and you can follow along as they're doing that. Right after that, We're going to watch a pretty extended uh, section from the television series, The Chosen, which is completed season three. Season four is coming out soon. It's on the life of Jesus. It's going to be a a seven-year project. And this particular scene that we're going to watch is another one of those in The Chosen that uh, is showing us the passage that we just read. And doing a great job at it. I mean, I'm like, after having studied this and then watching some of the subtle things that are going on in this scene, I'm like, that is. That is really, really good. There's a certain amount of interpretation that always goes in. There's a certain amount of interpretation when you preach. There's a certain amount of interpretation that goes into a presentation of the life of Jesus. And I'm like, that is a really, really thoughtful interpretation. Now, the scene is a little different than the one that we're going to be reading because it's been placed within some other things that are happening. And if you haven't watched a series, you may wonder, who are some of these people that the camera goes to? And you may wonder, well, you know, who are all these people and what's happening around this? It doesn't matter listen to what Jesus says follow along I think uh, it'll help understand the passage even better so let's let's watch or follow along
1: Matthew chapter 11 verses 1 through 6 after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee when John who was in prison heard about the deeds of the Messiah he sent his disciples to ask him are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Who here has experienced John the baptizer in some way? I know some of you rejected John, but some of you believed his message. He has had a profound impact on so many in this region. And these are two of his disciples, so let's welcome them. Hmm? Some of you may also know that John is currently imprisoned by Herod in Machaerus. I think it would be instructive for us to hear what's on his mind in the midst of such challenge. It's a difficult question. It might be better privately. It's fine. This is healthy. He sent us to ask you if you are really the one who is to come or should we look for someone else? Say that last part again. Should we look for someone else? Hmm. For those of you who could not hear, John the baptizer, my cousin, who has prepared the way for me, is now questioning if I am the Messiah or if maybe we should keep waiting. John is getting impatient, yes? It's one of his quirks. He has been in prison a long time. Word reached dry ears about what happened in Nazareth, that you said the spirit of the Lord is upon you to proclaim liberty to the captives. If you say you are here to free prisoners, then why does he remain? He rightfully
0: wonders why you would allow his entire ministry to be halted by an impostor, king.
1: Proclaiming liberty to the captives can mean more than just freeing inmates. There are many kinds of captivity that keep people off. Is that what we're supposed to tell him? No, that's just for you. We heard our former comrades Andrew and Philip have gone to the Decapolis. Is that where you're planning to launch the revolution to overthrow Rome? I have something in mind for the Decapolis and it will be revolutionary but probably not in the way you're thinking. What are we supposed to report back? Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The mute speak. And the poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. I will always be offended by blasphemy. As should all of you! So what happened to his daughter? You know this isn't blasphemy. I did not see what happened. Your supposed rabbi disrespected me as a holy man. Another sign of his evil spirit. And they also don't know any of the details that happened. He is hiding something. And I cannot stand here and allow you all to be deceived by his sorcery. Even if I'm the only one willing to protect you. Go. Relay to my cousin what you have seen and heard here today add to that, the dead are raised as well. And tell John, I love him.
0: Alright, pretty powerful. So John is in prison. He sends some disciples to ask Jesus, is he really the one? He's struggling. Now I want you to think about this. <laughs> Jesus could have turned and said, John, you had one job. (laughs) Really, you had one job, and that was to prepare the way for me. (laughs) And you're, like, going off the rails right now. (laughs) You had just one, one job. And it was his one job. He was to prepare the way for the Messiah. Think about who John was, and he's having doubts. You don't ask that question unless you're doubting. And I'm not saying... He's doubting if Jesus is a holy man. I'm not saying he's doubting that Jesus is a good man. He's not doubting that Jesus is a rabbi or maybe even a prophet. Is he the one? I mean, is he really the one? There's doubt there. But this is the guy who baptized Jesus. This is the guy who, when he baptized Jesus, prophesies. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I mean, he's... the prophets didn't always know what it was that they were talking about. You see this from the Old Testament prophets. A lot of times they didn't know really what it was talking about, the order of things, how it was going to work. We're going to talk about that next week, actually. But he prophesied this. He's Jesus's cousin, as it makes that point there. And imagine with me (laughs) um, Elizabeth not telling John this story. So it's from from the Christmas story. So Mary has found out that she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. She's going to give birth to the Savior. It says, at that time, Mary got ready. This is in Luke chapter one. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zacharias home and greeted Elizabeth, her cousin. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greetings, greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. This is John the Baptist's mom. The baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she proclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord would come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill, would fulfill his promises to her. John knew that story. And we can speculate about John's state of mind at this point. This is an outdoors guy (laughs) who spent his adult life outdoors and he's in a little prison, a dungeon. Really, dungeon is the kind of word that you want because prisons back then weren't anything like prisons these days. They didn't even feed you. You survived if someone from the outside brought you food (laughs) or if they just maybe had some mercy on you and wanted to keep you alive but there wasn't like a cafeteria that you went to or food that was brought to you that didn't come from the outside it was it was a horrible type of experience so we can we can speculate about what his state of mind but at the core of John's doubts the core of John's doubts ours as well is that we doubt God when he doesn't do what we expect him as God to do we doubt him when we We think in our mind, if he is God, then why doesn't he? Um, Why wouldn't God finish a sentence? Those are the kinds of doubts that we have in our lives. So um, what are some of the ways that we can keep doubt from distancing us from God? I'm convinced that The distancing happens most of the time, not because of the doubt itself, not because of the question itself, it is because of our response to it. How we respond will oftentimes determine where it ends. Not always, but will oftentimes determine where we end. And so I'm hopefully speaking to some of you right now, a lot of you who have those kind of nagging questions in your mind, or preparing you for a future day when that idea is gonna be introduced through something you're reading, somebody you're talking to, a class that you're taking, whatever, that idea is going to be introduced and it's going to nag at you in a major way. Doubt can be a catalyst. It can be a catalyst for your faith. It can challenge because of the doubt that you're going through. It can challenge your current faith and correct it. Don't waste your doubts. Don't waste your doubts, really. <laughs> it's a good thing to have doubts. Don't waste your doubts. Your faith can be deeper. It can be more meaningful if you struggle through your doubt and struggle with your doubt. It's like exercise. You know, you, you, don't, you don't improve your muscles. You don't improve your um, your breathing, your heart, all those things that happen when you exit, that doesn't happen unless you you push it. It's the same thing with doubt. It's one of the ways, one of the ways, not the only way, it's one of the ways that it pushes us to study, to ask questions, to pray, to do the kinds of things that strengthen our faith. I strongly believe that doubt can refresh your faith. It can, it can help you go deeper with God. It can deepen your understanding of Christianity. And it can help you be more compassionate. And um, I, I sometimes worry, I, I know people are wired in different ways, but I sometimes worry about the person who says, I have absolutely no doubts. I am absolutely certain. Um, if only, if only because that person, it might be you, is oftentimes not very Compassionate towards those who doubt a lot. And we need to be compassionate with each other when we go through that. All right, so I think there's other reasons. I think maybe you say that, but you do, you just deal with it, you know, quickly. And that's good, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not judging you on that, I'm just saying it worries me a little bit if you are living in absolute certainty. Uh, doubt will distance you or draw you near to God. And here's how to keep it from dissing you from God. Okay. Number one of three weeks worth of points. Number one, question your doubts, not just your faith. Question your doubts, not just your faith. That's what John is doing. Okay. If he was just questioning his faith, he'd be sitting in that prison talking to his disciples going, I don't know. I don't know. Why isn't he, why isn't he doing that? Why am I here? What, what's going on? He's not acting like a king. He's not doing all the things that he's supposed to be doing as a Messiah. But he questions his doubts by sending his disciples to question Jesus. So uh, that's what I mean when I say question your doubts. Let's say you're a follower of Christ and something, an idea is introduced that is creating doubt in you. Scrutinize the idea. Ask yourself the question. Is the idea that's shaking my faith really faith-shaking? Is it really faith-shaking? Is it true that if God is loving and all-powerful, there would be no suffering in the world? It's tempting to think that. Um, If we're all wrong here, all of us who believe, um, maybe it is. But really, ask the question, is that true? That a world created by a loving and all-powerful God would be free from all suffering? Is it true that what feels maybe to you like God's silence that's been going on for a long time, is it true that that's proof that he doesn't exist? Or he's not personal? Or he doesn't care for you? Is that true? Is it true that maybe you've had some really bad, bad church experience? Or a really bad experience with some Christians? Is it true that that kind of nullifies all churches, it nullifies what God said about the church? It shows that it's not even true, that this Christianity is not true. Scrutinize that question. You may think I desperately want to serve God and I keep keep serving myself, I keep doing this thing and it's harmful to me, it's harmful to others and I've asked for help over and over and over again. Is your failure proof, as you're thinking maybe, that God doesn't exist? Scrutinize, scrutinize that doubt. The reality is whatever questions you have, you're not the first person to have these kinds of questions. You're, you're not. Uh, many of these questions, if not all of them, or variations of the questions, they've been thought about, struggle with, written about, for centuries, for centuries, you are not alone. Um, again, what I'm saying right now applies to believers who are doubting. I'm not talking about the atheist or the agnostic. So what's unhealthy, I think. It's healthy to doubt. What's unhealthy is intellectual, maybe, not just unhealthy, but intellectually dishonest sometimes just plain lazy, is when you as a believer are, are having doubts that are derailing your faith, has derailed your faith, but you don't apply the same kind of interrogation to your doubts that you applied to your faith. Do you see what I mean? Like you, you have these doubts, but you have not really zeroed in on is this True. Is this true? Now, I can't say that to the atheist or the agnostic. Um, And I I want you to, I've I've heard people say Christians, like, you know, have you thought about Jesus? No. Well, maybe you should investigate it. If somebody came up to me and said, "Uh, Henry, uh, do you think that it's possible that the earth is flat? And I'd say, no, I don't think so and they would say, have you ever investigated it? I'd be thinking, I don't know what I would say, but I'd be thinking, somebody ought to investigate you. You know? Um, So, if, if that were, if I were, if somebody were to ask me that, I don't think I owe it to anybody to investigate whether the earth is flat or not, okay? If I were an atheist, and I thought that believing in God was the equivalent of believing the earth is flat. There's no obligation there. I can't put any obligation on someone. I mean, the the only reason you would investigate is because God is stirring something in you and drawing you towards him. And I might say, have you ever felt that? Could you maybe lean into that if you felt that? All right, that would be more of a proper thing to say to an atheist. But to a person who is a professing follower of Jesus, isn't it kind of lazy? Isn't it intellectually dishonest? To kind of like trash your faith, but not look at seriously your doubts? Doubts may eventually derail your faith, even if you interrogate your doubts. But if you're a follower of Jesus, the Bible says that not to interrogate those kinds of things, to just kind of go with where your feelings are going or where your latest thought is going, is actually, the Bible calls it foolish. Um, You got it in... Proverbs, here's a couple of the Proverbs like this. "This says, the simple believe anything, but the prudent give thought to their steps. Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. Kind of going their own way. Something has been attributed to G.K. Chesterton, <clears throat> but he actually never said, but he said something like it, and some people started saying that he said it. Okay, so anyways, this is... This gets at what he said. When a man stops believing in God, he doesn't then believe in nothing. He believes in anything. That's something to think about. Um, We need to interrogate our doubts. If you once believed, or you are now a believer, and you're thinking about walking away from the faith, or that day comes in the future, you know what the stakes are. Think about the stakes. We're talking about a holy God, sovereign creator of the entire universe, walking away from him. Who not only is the holy God who is sovereign creator of the universe, but a God who wants to know you. These are the stakes, you're a believer, you you know that this is what it's about. You know it's about being reconciled to God, walking with God, growing in God. So that's what you're actually walking away from. And presumably, you've come face to face with your own guilt and you understand that you're walking away from God's solution to your guilt. So if you know the stakes, but walk away without scrutinizing your doubts to the nth degree. Does that, does that really make any sense at all in your life? I heard an interview uh, recently on uh, Theology in the Raw with Sean McDowell. He's, for those of you who've been around a while in Christianity, he's Josh McDowell, evidence of the man's verdict, more than a carpenter. It's his son, but he's accomplished. He's written many books. He's a college professor. He runs a ministry that asks and answers, tries to answer biblically a lot of really, really, really tough questions, has a lot of conversations with people. Uh, a book of his is in your Sermon Application Guide in the resources, a recent book. He was being interviewed about that book. And this is, uh, this is what he said. It was a very bold statement. I, I remember like being almost taken aback, but going, oh man, that's something to think about. He says, when I talk to a lot of people who have deconstructed to deconversion so who are like rethinking their faith which is not a bad thing and makes that point in the book but they leave their faith he says i'll ask them not why did you leave but tell me the story of when you became a christian tell the story of when you knew you were a sinner and you cried out to god for his grace i'm telling you it's the exception when someone who has deconverted has the experience of God's grace, that they can actually go back and say, well, I, I experienced God's grace in this way and I asked for forgiveness. He, he goes on to, um, to explain that he's talked to not just a lot of people, but some high profile people who have deconverted. And he says, when he asks them this question, a lot of times they go, well, I never quite had that experience, but I knew, that God was real and Jesus was real at one time in my life because I was at a concert and I felt it. I knew it because I was taking a quiet walk through the woods. And I thought, what a beautiful God we have. And Jesus, whoa, just unbelievable. And so he goes, if you can't think maybe it starts that way it's nothing wrong with starting that way but if it never moves to and then I started thinking about my own life and I started thinking about my own guilt and I started thinking about how I have taken this world and this one life that God has given me that 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 he's given me and I have squandered it in so many ways and I've hurt other people and I need reconciliation with this God because this God must be holy and so I came to learn about Jesus. And what he, Okay, if that's where the story goes, but he says that's not where the story goes. It's like I felt it once, I just didn't feel it anymore. I just didn't have that anymore, that sense that God exists. How many in churches all around the world, in this church, the basis of your faith isn't that you came face to face with the fact that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. If there was another way to do it, do you, think, do you think that Jesus would die on the cross for your sins if there was another way to be made right with God? Well, it doesn't make sense. It really, it really doesn't make sense if you really think about it. But you came face to face. If it's more like, no, I just have this sense. I always had since I was little. I read my Bible. You know, I just love God. I just don't. You may not be even experiencing any doubts, but if that is the core of your faith, you need to ask the question, am I a Christian or am I kind of a theist who likes Jesus and thinks the Bible is good? You know, that kind of a thing. Have you really had that life-changing experience of being reconciled with God by putting your faith in Christ alone for your sins, him dying for your sins and rising from the dead? Have you had that where when that happens, the Holy Spirit comes into your life? <laughs> Has that happened to you? Or is it more of a general, general feeling? Um, okay. Okay. I want to be really clear about this. I have no illusions again that if you ask, you know, the right questions of your doubts that you're going to wind up where where I'm at as a follower of Jesus. I'm just saying that it doesn't make sense to walk away without having interrogated your doubts, without reading, studying, talking, applying time and energy to something that has such large stakes, which I think you know what those stakes, what those stakes are. So, if there's anything that you remember from this sermon, even from the next three weeks, it's this point. All right. Going through doubt, interrogate your doubts, question your doubts, not just, not just your faith. All right. All right. Got to check the time because um, I said things I didn't say yesterday. <laughs> How do you keep your doubts from distancing you from god or derailing your faith entirely question your doubts not just your faith second diagnose the sources of your doubt i can't go into depth on this one but um we can like i said we can speculate what is john going through he's in prison he's maybe depressed depression impacts the way that you think seriously impacts the way that you think he's feeling horrible Terrible, terrible circumstances. Under those circumstances, it would be easy to see, well, John is spiraling. You know, he's, he's just gotten into a negative whatever thought pattern and, and everything probably seems worthless to him and all that sort of thing. Now, that may be true, uh, but we don't know. And I think, and I'll try to make this point next week, I think he would have had the same doubts had he not been in prison. He would have had the same doubts as what he expressed there. Uh, But there's some broad categories as to where our doubts. And it's important to to understand these broad categories for two reasons, okay? I'll give them to you in a moment. First of all, if you don't understand where your doubts are coming from, it makes it a little harder for you to search for answers to interrogate your doubts, right? I mean, if you're like, um, it's just one question, but it's not all your conversations go around this one big question but it's not really the issue <laughs> the issue is more something that's going on in here or an experience you had that you don't want to talk about nobody can help you <laughs> You're not even gonna be able to help yourself. So it's good to at least think about these categories. I'm gonna give you five categories. There could be more. I haven't thought this completely through. I used to only give three and I thought that doesn't cover it all. Some of these overlap a little bit, but here here you go. The first one is intellectual. These are the philosophical, these big questions that we oftentimes have in in our minds. Um, But some of these grow out of other things, okay? I'm not saying that if you have an emotional issue that these questions don't matter. They, they matter. It's just that sometimes we're really fixated on this question because of something else that's going on. So the second one is experiential. And experiential has to do with experiences of church abuse or abuse from another Christian or, or um, just abuse in general in our lives or, or all kinds of experiences that we can have that make it more difficult to believe, and that we really need to think through and, and talk about. The next one is psychological, very close to experiential, but this I'm thinking more in terms of mental health issues. If you're chronically depressed, the reality is it is really going to, it, it has the potential of having some pretty serious impact on how you think about things, how you think about God and whether he really loves you and, and all of it can it can really impact you. And, um, and so just emotions uh, impact, certainly emotions impact me all the time. So certainly emotions can impact my relationship with God. Uh, the next one is volitional. This has to do with your will, what you want, what you want and what you don't want. I've told the story before, but it was, uh, it was years ago and it was one of the, uh, a young man who grew up probably from elementary school all the way through high school in our church and i think it was his mom who said he's really struggling w- would you be willing to sit down and talk with him and um and so we went out for coffee he was going to school in the twin cities went out for coffee and he had all these intellectual questions and they had arisen because of some of his professors and one of the things that he said was these people that are influencing me right now i just I just think they're wonderful people, but they're not Christians, they're just wonderful people. I, I actually want to be more like them. And then towards the end of the conversation, it was like, it shocked me that he would say it. I mean, that he would just say it, but it was refreshing. He says, and besides all that, I just want to have sex and have fun while I'm in college. Okay, that's a matter of the will, okay? Does that come before the questions? I don't know. Um, Do the questions start and then you, oh, this isn't that strong of a foundation and I'm missing out on a lot? You know, I don't know. But it's good to know what you want and what you don't want. And then there's social. Just, it's hard to maintain faith. It's why the church exists, but imagine living in a place where it is illegal to meet as a church, how difficult it is to carry on your faith. Imagine if you're isolated from other Christians. Imagine if most of the people surround you, your family, your closest friends, none of them believe in Jesus. It's good to just be aware of that and and be able to talk about that as you're struggling with your doubts because that kind of pressure can really have an impact on you. Okay, so be honest. Don't hide behind intellectual questions not saying they're not real questions. You, you want to get answers to those, but you know don't just avoid other issues that might be ha- happening. Uh, if you're angry at God, you know what the reality is? If you're angry at God, just like with anybody else, if I'm angry at someone, I don't give them the benefit of the doubt at all. And really, you can't do relationships without giving the benefit of the doubt. Some, you know, just kind of, you know, okay, I'm, I'm gonna put the best interpretation on what I just heard from that person. Because I love them, I care about them, that kind of a thing. But if you're angry at God, it's like there's hardly an argument. There's, there are no airtight arguments. So, you know, you're looking for something that you're not gonna find. Maybe you need to think about your anger towards God. How do you keep your doubts from distancing you from God? Derailing your faith. Question your doubts, not just your faith. Second, diagnose the sources of your doubt. And then thirdly, really quickly, bring your doubts to God. Bring your doubts to God. Takes a certain amount of trust, I know. But if you are a professing believer, you probably have been praying a few more prayers when you're dealing with doubt probably wouldn't hurt. And it's what John does. He comes with his questions and he just point blank asks, are you the one? And again, there had to be a little bit of embarrassment because he has declared him as the one, you know? It's like, if I have been barking, here I am. I'm, gonna, I'm going to possibly die in prison, and I have been pointing people towards you, and what if you are not the one? We'll look at next week why um, he would think that and really how that is one of the best opportunities for growth in our faith because he needed correction. He needed correction. And you you see it in the video. In fact, in the video, we'll see it next week when the disciples leave. He turns and he goes, did that sound like a rebuke? And Nathaniel goes, yes. (laughs) And Jesus goes, I can always count on you, Nathaniel. (laughs) And um, it... It is, there, there is a word of rebuke, a loving rebuke, but there is a word of rebuke. If you come to Jesus and you bring your doubts, he might challenge you by actually raising other issues that are gonna bring more <laughs> doubts. He might correct your view of him or your view of yourself. And I can guarantee you he will give you answers you don't like. And if you like all of his answers, well, that's not the correct way to say it. If you want a God, you want Jesus, God, the son, to give you answers that fit your worldview and perspective, like completely, that fit our culture's answers to what's really important. You have not found Jesus. You have created Jesus in your own mind. So be prepared, week three, for some of the things Jesus says that are hard, hard to swallow. And we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there in two weeks.